Chapters thirty one and thirty two of One Life, One Love by Mary Elizabeth Braddon. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Thirty one. Daisy's Diary. I will repay. This morning the question was mooted who was to give me away? It was just as breakfast was over, and Mr. Arden had not yet gone off to his hermitage on the other side of the lane. Your stepfather is, of course, the proper person said my mother looking at her husband with her sweet gentle smile a look i understand so well a look which means kindliness esteem respect consideration but which never yet meant love no i cried hastily there is only one person who must give me to my husband and that person is my mother my dearest it would be so unusual for a woman began mother mr arden interrupted her hastily not in the case of a widow clara he said in his calm measured way as if there were no hint of aversion in my hasty protest i agree with daisy you are the fittest person to give your daughter to the man of her choice the act will stamp your approval of the union and daisy is wise in wishing that it should be so twice he mentioned me by my old familiar name without the faintest emotion no witness of that scene could have suspected from his tone or conduct that there was any gulf between us i sat with my eyes fixed upon the tablecloth waiting for him to leave us before i could feel happy or at ease it was on the morning after this that the dreadful shock came and still this man of blood was calm and collected equal to the occasion the newspapers are delivered at river lawn at about ten o'clock and on this particular morning we were later than usual at breakfast and the meal was only just over when meade brought in his tray of papers ready aired and cut my stepfather took the times my mother the morning post i am only interested in meat's tray on the mornings that bring the world punch or truth so on tuesday morning there was nothing to claim my attention and i sat idly by while the other two read their papers an exclamation from my mother startled me from a reverie oh god she cried rising hurriedly and going over to her husband with the newspaper in her hand it has come it has come at last vengeance is mine i will repay saith the lord my husband's murderer will be punished after all these years ambrose do you see do you know what has happened have you read have i read what my dear clara are you mad he asked looking up at her wonderingly as she stood before him with white cheeks and dilated eyes have you read the french news a dreadful murder the murder of a woman by a man who is supposed to be her brother by a man called Léon Duverdier, alias Claude Morel. Claude Morel, the man who killed my husband. No, I have not seen the French news, he answered slowly. A lie. The paper lay under his hand as he spoke, and I saw the heading of the column, Paris, by telegraph. Read, then, read the account of the murder and of the man. He is in prison. He was caught at once this time, taken red-handed. The police in Paris are better than the feeble wretches who let my dear lover's murderer go scot-free. Read, 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 Ambrose. She was beside herself with agitation. Her husband started to his feet, put his arm around her and held her to his breast, held her against that false and cruel heart whose baseness she knew not. Control yourself, Clara, for pity's sake. Remember we have not sure ground for believing that Morel was the murderer yes yes we have conclusive ground the use of his sister's name to decoy my husband 
that in itself was all sufficient proof and now see the sister is murdered brutally savagely stabbed to death by the same hand if there has been a murder done the murderer will suffer for his crime and in that case your husband will be avenged no no that is not enough that other more deliberate crime must be brought home to him his judges must know what a wretch he is french juries are so merciful he will be recommended to mercy only the murder of a sister on the spur of the moment there will be the plea of extenuating circumstances but let them know how he lured an unoffending man to a lonely room and killed him in cold blood for sordid gain and even a french jury must condemn him to death my dearest you are talking wildly a man can only be tried for one crime at a time if he be acquitted of murdering his sister he can then be indicted for the murder of robert hatrell you must be calm and patient let us go to paris to-night i will go there if you like and find out all about the man and his crime it would be useless for you to go no no i want to be there in the city where the murderer is waiting for his doom my dear clara i cannot allow you to travel under such conditions i would not answer for your reason if you were to go upon such a journey nor could you possibly leave your daughter on the eve of her marriage upon any such mad errand whatever has to be done i will do i will go to-night and i will remain in paris until after this man's trial i will find out who he really is and if he is identical with the claude morel whose sister your husband once admired you may rely upon me to do everything that is necessary or expedient only for god's sake be calm be reasonable remember how precious your life and reason are to your daughter and to me remember how both trembled in the balance years ago in this house my poor dear mother commanded herself by a great effort i could see how she struggled with her agitation how earnestly she strove to be calm i never thought that the hour of retribution would come she said oh the wretch the heartless wretch to strike a strong man down in the flower of his years to cut short so dear a life no i will not talk of him any more ambrose she said in answer to a warning look from her husband i will be calm and patient and wait for the end it is coming in god's own good time you need not be afraid about me daisy and i will stay here quietly while you go to paris and you will send me daily reports you will not keep me in the dark not for an hour they went out of the room together mother leaning on his arm confiding in him and relying upon him as if he were the best of men i was left alone to think over what had happened and to consider how this new phase of our terrible history was likely to affect the dear mother first i read the account of the murder in the times a brutal murder the act of a thief and desperado i will not sully this book by recording it here since its only bearing on my life lies in the fact that this wretch who murdered his sister in a villa in the bois de boulogne the night before last is in all probability the wretch who killed my father i read the savage history and then i thought and thought and thought but i only felt so much the more hopeless and miserable and i saw how futile it was for me to think alone while the other half of me was not at my side to help me out of every difficulty so i just ran into the lobby put on my hat and went out into the garden to see if i could find my dearest and best who would be able to give me wise counsel and whose very voice would enable me to keep up my courage where i hemmed round by difficulties 
it is wintry weather everywhere in this last month of the year but our gardens are so rich in conifers laurel and arbutus that they never look bare or cold and the shrubbery is so sheltered by deodar and cupressus that an invalid might walk there even on the coldest morning i knew it was gilbert's habit to smoke his after-breakfast cigarette on the other side of the fence and that i was most likely to find him within call mother had allowed him to make a gate of communication between his shrubbery and ours not many paces from the arbour where i first discovered that i adored him i found him this morning standing close by this gate with a very grave countenance evidently on the watch for me and i saw at a glance that he had read all about the murder he had and we talked the hideous story over together how will it affect mr arden i asked if he is the guilty wretch you think him it may affect him most terribly the man morel has been taken red-handed and cannot escape condemnation if he is the murderer of denmark street if your stepfather prompted that murder as you believe he may out of sheer devilry make a full confession before he goes to the guillotine denounce his accomplice and die in the odour of sanctity and then my mother will know everything and the rest of her life will be made miserable said i my stepfather left us this evening i felt sick with apprehension when i saw mother bidding him good-bye in the hall while the carriage waited to drive him to the station she so full of kindliness and concern for his comfort on the cold night journey he pale and sombre speaking with evident effort you are looking so ill to-night ambrose she said i fear you are hardly equal to the journey and the trouble that may come afterwards i must face both clara my chief anxiety is about you and your peace of mind he answered gravely if you will only be true to yourself i fear nothing you have your daughter and her husband to think of new duties new ties the beginning of a new existence it seemed to me as if he were renouncing all share in her life all claim to her affection he looked at me earnestly questioningly and then as i made no movement towards him he said quietly good-night and good-bye daisy he turned on the threshold and took my mother in his arms and kissed her forehead and her lips with a sudden fervour that transformed him the pallid careworn face flushed and smiled the dull and sunken eyes brightened it was for a moment only his valet warned him that there was no time to lose he stepped into the brougham the door was shut and he was gone thirty two daisy's diary it is the eve of my wedding day the eve of st valentine's day gilbert is to be my valentine to-morrow and for ever and now in this deep silence of after midnight i will close the record of my life as an unmarried woman the life that will begin to-morrow will mark the opening of a new volume in my history but the old book shall be my friend and confidant still for i shall be able to praise my husband in these pages as i should never dare to praise him to any living listener least of all to his modest unpretending self i shall close the record of my girlish years and with it i hope closes the tragedy of my own and my mother's life god grant that bloodshed and guilt and treachery may have no further influence upon her life and mine and that the road that lies before us may pass through a peaceful and a smiling land where crime and sin will have no part in our destiny the interval between my stepfather's journey to paris and the end of the year was a time of keenest anxiety for me and for gilbert who shared and lightened all my cares we watched the three principal paris papers which gilbert ordered to be sent him daily and watched with intense expectation for any notice of the murderer morel 
the actual facts recorded were few beyond those particulars of the murder which had appeared in the first instance but there was a great deal of descriptive writing bearing more or less upon the crime something of this kind appeared in one or other of the papers nearly every day sometimes there was a paragraph about the prisoner's antecedents the part he took in the riots and brutalities of the commune the manner of his escape when the versailles troops got possession of paris and many other facts or fictions about his past life gilbert told me that i must not believe more than one-fourth of any such article or paragraphs in a parisian newspaper one day there appeared a long account of the villa which was the scene of the murder an article in which the luxury and splendour of the house were minutely described another article in the same paper gave a glowing description of the prisoner's cousin a beautiful young woman married to one of the richest men in paris scandal about this young woman and her mother was freely published cruel imputations against their character but there was not one line in any of the papers which hinted at claude morel's identity with the murderer of denmark street the police know all about him said gilbert but they are keeping dark a man cannot be tried for two crimes at the same time were morel acquitted he could be arrested and brought to london to be confronted with the witnesses the landlady and the tailor's journeyman who could identify the murderer of denmark street but i do not see the remotest chance of his acquittal my stepfather remained in paris for nearly a month during which time he wrote at least twice a week to my mother she read portions of his letters to me he had seen the police and they had told him that there was very little doubt of the prisoner's execution the crime was too utterly brutal to enlist the sympathies of even a french jury he would be found guilty without extenuating circumstances he would perhaps appeal to the court of cassation but his appeal would be rejected in a later letter my stepfather wrote that he had with great difficulty obtained an interview with the prisoner he had taxed him with the murder in denmark street but morel had denied all knowledge of that crime the letter described him as an obdurate villain this trial took place in the second week of december the prisoner's cousin madame perez was the chief witness against him she described how he had appealed to her for money or for jewels to convert into money two hours before the murder and how she had refused to give him either money or jewels upon which he left the house angry and menacing she described how she was startled from her sleep by the sounds of footsteps in her room and opening her eyes saw the prisoner standing before her toilet table deliberately filling his pockets with her jewels which she had worn in great profusion upon that particular evening she told the court how she had sprung from her bed intending to ring for help but before she could reach the electric bell the accused struck her to the ground she remembered nothing after that blow which had inflicted a permanent injury upon the sight of one eye she had only just recovered from a nervous fever which had followed upon her return to consciousness the appearance of this witness in the court excited a profound interest said the papers she is described as a very beautiful woman her evidence was given in some parts reluctantly at other times with a rush of indignant feeling when asked by the prisoner if she had not been his mistress she passionately repelled the accusation she admitted that she had once loved him but that was before she knew the worthlessness of his character she spoke in the highest terms of the murdered louise she denied any knowledge of the fact that the brother and sister had adopted names which were not their own she had never heard the name of morel in association with either of them the evidence of the gendarme who arrested the murderer red-handed was conclusive the blood of his victim and the jewels which he had stolen were found upon him there was little need of deliberation 
the verdict was guilty without extenuating circumstances the sentence was death i can never forget my mother's face when gilbert told her the doom of claude morel we went together to the morning-room where she was sitting at work her great basket of flannel and calico on the hearth-rug in front of her chair her pale anxious face intent upon her stitching in all this time of suspense she had employed herself chiefly in visiting the poor and working for them she told me that it was only by constant occupation useful and mechanical work that she could steady her nerves and prevent herself from dwelling incessantly upon the tragedy of her life she listened quietly while gilbert read the verdict and the sentence and then with bent head and clasped hands she murmured those awful words which she had spoken to her husband when she first read of morel's crime vengeance is mine i will repay saith the lord how often and how often in the time past she must have repeated that terrible text she received a letter from her husband the same evening but it could tell her nothing which the paper had not told her already except that he intended to remain in paris for a few days to see if there were any likelihood of a commutation of the sentence five days afterwards my stepfather walked into the drawing-room at nine o'clock in the evening unannounced and unexpected he had come from paris by the morning mail i waited till the eve of the execution clara he said when my mother had welcomed him gilbert and i were sitting at chess in a nook near the fireplace we stood up to greet him but kept aloof as if he had been a stranger it is decided then there will be no reprieve said my mother none then there will be at least one villain less in the world said i he looked at me never to my dying day can i forget the agonized reproachfulness of that look it was a look that made me feel as if i were the ingrate and the traitor and he only the injured i saw the picture of my happy childhood as they say a drowning man sees all his past life in the moment before death i saw myself with my arms round that man's neck and my cheek against his breast saw myself soothed and watched over in hours of childish illness taught and counselled and amused and trained by that keen intellect loved and petted with an inexhaustible patience and an unvarying tenderness by that grave student for whom all the world of thought was an open book how often how continually day after day had he laid aside his dearest occupation to devote himself to the education and the amusement of a child yes he had done all this he had sacrificed his inclinations he had made himself a slave for my mother's sake and to win her he had plotted my father's death my eyelids fell and my heart beat fast beneath that mute reproach but for me his crime was an unpardonable crime i dared not pity him even in his agony of remorse for such pity would have been treachery to my dead father my mother urged him to take some refreshment after his journey and gave her orders to the butler to that end but he declared that he had dined in london you must have had some time in town between the arrival of the paris train and the departure of the seven-fifty from paddington said my mother yes i had nearly two hours time enough to dine and to transact a little business in the city in the city but all the offices would be closed at that time not the office i wanted he was looking very ill and had grown thinner in the few weeks of absence i saw my mother observing him anxiously as he sat in front of the fire warming his wasted hands before the burning logs he talked with some show of cheerfulness asked about the preparations for the marriage and for christmas was it to be a gay christmas at river lawn gay 
echoed mother how could i think of gaiety at such a time my thoughts have been fixed upon one subject every effort of my mind has been not to think too perpetually of the man who is to die to-morrow of the man who is to die to-morrow he repeated solemnly death cancels all wrong-doing at least the law thinks so the worst that you can do to a murderer is to kill him he rose slowly and moved about the room in his old restless way and then came over to my mother and bent over her and kissed her don't sit up for me clara he said i have letters to write proofs to look over the accumulations of a month i have sent ames over to the cottage with my dispatch-box i shall sit there very late most likely not to-night ambrose surely not to-night there will be plenty of time to-morrow remonstrated mother no i have left everything to the last there will be no time to-morrow good-night dear love he nodded to gilbert and me a cool curt nod and was gone before my mother could remonstrate further how pale and haggard he looks she said i was wrong to let him go to paris upon such a painful business in his weak health what would sir andrew say to me if he knew how his advice had been disregarded sir andrew recommended rest i suppose said gilbert he told my husband that it was essential for him to take life quietly ah doctors tell us that but will the heart and brain cease from troubling at a physician's bidding my mother sighed and sank into melancholy silence and our game went on slowly quietly in the silent room where there was no sound but the light fall of wood ashes on the hearth my mother came to me at seven o'clock next morning and told me that her husband had been at work all night she had watched his lamp from her bedroom window being herself too agitated to sleep or even to lie down for more than half an hour at a time the lamp had been burning till daybreak when she saw it extinguished i too had watched that lamp wondering what the guilty soul was suffering in that long night whether he wished himself in the condemned cell where that vulgar villain was waiting the dawn of his last day whether he would have welcomed the knife as a short sharp cure for the pangs of a guilty conscience my stepfather had never before spent a whole night at the cottage and indeed had seldom occupied himself in his library of an evening this unaccustomed night-watch made my mother uneasy and she asked me to go across the road with her to see if there was anything amiss he may have fallen asleep at his desk she said and in a cold room for i dare say he has not been careful to keep the fire burning all night he had dismissed his valet when he went over to the cottage and was alone there except for the existence of an elderly woman who lived in the back premises cleaned and aired the rooms and made fires we went across the road together mother and i in the bleak winter morning the sky was red above the leafless elm tops towards london but grey and gloomy in every other direction the neglected garden and the cottage itself looked very dull and dreary in the chilly dawn the sodden creepers hanging from the walls the plaster blotted with damp what a dismal house to think that ambrose and his son lived in it for ever so many years murmured my mother she had only to turn the handle of the door to go in there was no bolt or lock to shut us out i followed her into the dark passage and into the room on the right of the porch the room which my stepfather called his den a room lined with books from floor to ceiling Yes whispered my mother he has fallen asleep the atmosphere was close and hot and reeked with the odour of lamp-oil a pair of candles had burnt down to the sockets and the ashes were grey in the grate 
my stepfather's head had fallen upon his folded arms and upon the table in front of him there was a long official envelope directed in a large firm hand for my wife i read the words across my mother's shoulder as she bent down to speak to her husband and i guessed what dreadful thing had happened and what new horror she would have to bear come away mother come away i cried he is dead i know he is dead she bent over him still and lifted the heavy head and looked at the ashen countenance yes it was the end death cancels every wrong ambrose arden's words of the night before came back to me as we stood there in that awful silence which his voice could never break again vain now all hope of keeping the truth from my mother that envelope no doubt contained the admission of his guilt she would know and she would suffer from that knowledge she burst into tears as she hung over the lifeless clay oh daisy she sobbed he has gone from us for ever our voices cannot reach him now i was never half grateful enough for his love or his goodness to me don't lament him mother he was not worthy i said but my tears were streaming too and i saw the dead man as he seemed to me in my childhood before my father's death before he had begun to plot murder we knew before that day was ended that he had died from an overdose of chloral he had had strength of will and purpose to throw the empty bottle under the grate where it was found broken among the cinders thus it was that mother and i did not suspect a suicide when we found him cold and lifeless at his desk she has not told me the contents of the packet but i know from her manner that she has nothing more to learn about my father's death albeit claude morel died without having made any admission of his guilt she has been full of sadness since her husband's funeral in spite of her brave attempt to sympathize with gilbert and me the wedding has been delayed for nearly two months in deference to my stepfather's memory and the bienseance the coroner's inquest resulted in a verdict of death by misadventure End of chapters 31 and 32